Hey y'all, welcome to Hashtag Preliminary, a podcast dedicated to introductions. Hashtag Preliminary is the place to peruse prominent publications and the innovative programming of a high school librarian. If this is your first time listening, my name is Latasha McKinney. I'm the high school librarian at Emerson North Alternative High School, which is located in Oklahoma City's diverse midtown area. Today's episode is entitled Strong Female Leads. The books featured in today's episode are The Gracier by Kim Liggett, Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kisner, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, On the Come Up by Angie Thomas, and The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. Before we get into today's episode, I have a confession to make. I absolutely love female rappers, which is probably why I also have a soft spot in my heart for books that feature a strong female lead. So ladies, if you love artists like Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, Mulatto, Saweetie, Trina, and the like, you are going to love today's episode. The Grace Year by Kim Liggett. No one speaks of the Grace Year. It's forbidden. We're told we have the power to lure grown men from their beds, make boys lose their minds, and drive the wives mad with jealousy. They believe our very skin emits a powerful aphrodisiac, the potent essence of youth, of a girl on the edge of womanhood. That's why we're banished for our 16th year to release our magic into the wild before we're allowed to return to civilization. But I don't feel powerful. I don't feel magical. Speaking of the grace here is forbidden, but it hasn't stopped me from searching for clues, a slip of the tongue between lovers in the meadow, a frightening bedtime story that doesn't feel like a story at all, knowing glances nestled in the frosty hollows between pleasantries of the women at the market, but they give away nothing. The truth about the grace year, what happens during that shadow year, is hidden away in the tiny slivers of filament hovering around them when they think no one's watching, but I'm always watching. The slip of a shawl, scarred shoulders bared under a harvest moon, haunted fingertips skimming the pond, watching the ripples fade to black, their eyes a million miles away in wonderment and horror. I used to think that was my magic, having the power to see things others couldn't, things they didn't even want to admit to themselves. But all you have to do is open your eyes. My eyes are wide open. Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner. Everything was fine until it wasn't. Everything was great, actually, until Brendan had to go and ruin my life. School was back in session from winter break, and I was ready to live it up in my final semester at Stilton High. I'd killed it as Catherine Manola in the Stackhouse Players' winter production of Taming of the Shrew. Everyone said so, including the reviewers in This Town, Still Town, and the Tribune Republican. And nothing usually impresses those people. Nothing. The admissions department at Carnegie Mellon had caught wind of my performance, and everyone said they'd be fighting NYU and even Juilliard for me, even if I hadn't applied to Juilliard. My evenings were filled with talks with my best friend, Megan, about theater craft and Brandon and college and Brandon and Method and Brandon. Brandon and theater were kind of tied together for me since he'd been the one to encourage me to audition for my first play in elementary school. 
way before we were even going out. At the end of last year, I'd just been elected drama club president to replace Kate Berry, who got cast in a movie and moved to LA. I'd narrowly edged out the awful Claire Fowler by two votes. She'd been my chief rival since she won the lead at fifth grade summer camp and every blasted summer after that. But I'd finally triumphed over her. Life had hit perfection by New Year's Eve and it was only going to get better. Or it would have, had it not all come crashing down because of Dick Brandon. I came back to school on day one of the new term, ready to persuade Mr. Cooper that we should ditch Almost Maine, which we had done for the spring production two years in a row, and perform Radium Girls instead. I had notes and a USB-saved PowerPoint. We had a full hour for clubs and sports meeting right after lunch. Thank you, football boosters. So I planned to corner Mr. Cooper before he got an earful from Clear about arsenic and old lace or God help me fucking our town. I practiced my pitch on Meg in between bites of my sandwich. Almost Maine sucks, said May to Megan. Isn't arsenic and old lace done everywhere? We need something different. Well, Radium Girls is super popular too, but we've never done it here, I said. And I want it for my portfolio. Yes, heaven forbid we not have something in our portfolio, said Megan. She might have been hearing about said portfolio since Claire first bested me at aforementioned camp. You need to show diversity. Megan held up her hands. Yes, yes. For Carnegie Mellon's competitive drama department. I know, I know. You've convinced me. Down with John Cariana. Ring in the Rain with D.W. Gregory to Stilton High Spring Production. Yes, I said, but I was pleased she had been listening to my presentation. The PowerPoint had crashed her laptop. Go get him, Tiger, said Megan as the bell rang. I strode out of the cafeteria and down the hall with a purpose. This was my year. We were going to do the play I wanted and everyone would thank me for it, even Claire. I rounded the corner by the guidance office to hit up my locker before my date with Mr. Cooper. I practically exploded with joy to see Brandon standing there. Hey, I said, rushing over to him. Before he could say anything, I threw my arms around him and pressed my mouth to his. That was not allowed in our sacred hallways of learning. But if you were fast, the teachers didn't say anything. The asshole even kissed me back. I thought you were doing some fancy extra chem lab today, I said. Oh yeah, Mr. Bauer is out sick and the sub didn't, didn't want any active flames. Something bad happened in his past involving eyebrows. I don't know. I'm going to stop in the mock trial. New session is upon us. We have so many members this year. We might have a whole crew dedicated to researching for the competition team. Awesome, I said. I meant it. Brandon had wanted to be a lawyer ever since we started going out in eighth grade. He was the only kid I knew who read Supreme Court decisions for fun. His passion for law stuff kept me going in theater, even when I wanted to try something else like debate or mock trial myself. But Brandon said it was better to stick with one thing. He always said it would distract him if I branched into his activities. I respected that. I could be incredibly distracting, 
though I always thought I'd kill it up there in front of a real judge. I'm going to convince Mr. Cooper that we can't have yet another year of almost Maine. Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. The day I came squealing and squalling into the world was the first time someone tried to kill me. I guess it should have been obvious to everyone right then that I wasn't going to have a normal life. It was the midwife that tried to do me in. Truth be told, it wasn't really her fault. What else is a good Christian woman going to do when a Negro comes flying out from between the legs of the richest white woman in Haller County, Kentucky? Is it a girl or a boy, Aggie? When my mother tells the story, this is the point where she pushed herself up on her elbows, giving the midwife's pale, sweaty face some powerful evil eye. And then, depending what kind of mood she's in, when she's telling it, my mama either demanded to hold me, her cooing baby, or she swooned and the villainous midwife gave me over to Aunt, Auntie Aggie, who cleaned me up and put me into an ivory bassinet until one of the mammies could suckle me. But if you ask Auntie Aggie, the woman who mostly raised me up, she would say that my mother was thrashing around on the bed, still in quite a bit of pain on account of the whole birthing thing. Aunt Aggie would say that mama had no idea what the midwife was about and that the realization of my near demise came much later. She was the one who, when she saw how the midwife was about to put a blanket over my face and declare me stillborn, stepped forward and held out her hands. Wasn't that lady's fault, Aunt Aggie said, as she told me the story. Ain't no white woman going to claim a Negro bastard. And I'm sure it wasn't the first time the midwife seen it. Aunt Aggie shook her head sadly, like she was thinking of all the poor little babies that didn't make it just because they happened to come out the wrong color. What happened then? I asked, because there's nothing better than the memories of others when you're little and have no stories of your own. Well, I turned right to that midwife and said, I'll take the girl and get her cleaned upright. That's what Aunt Aggie said, she said, and I believe her. If I close my eyes, I can imagine it. My mama's big bedroom on the east side of the main house, the windows open to let in the evening breeze, and the sound of crickets and workers singing in the fields, the coppery stink of blood heavy in the humid summer air. The bed linens no longer crisp and white, a crime punishable by a whipping if the mess had been caused by anyone but mama. She would never tolerate a stain anywhere, especially not on the bedsheets of her big four-poster. I can see Aunt Aggie there, her voice calm, her dark hands outstretched, her spine straight, her gaze unwavering and stern, an island of calm amid the chaos of house girls running to and fro, bringing the midwife hot water to clean and towels to sop, and a cool glass of iced tea because it's hotter than the dickens out. Yes, I can imagine Aunt Aggie saving me from the clutches of that well-meaning midwife. Aunt Aggie was the one that done raised me upright, despite what mama says when she gets in one of her fits. Aunt Aggie was more my mama than my real mama in the end. And I suppose I might have grown up better, might have become a proper house girl or even taken Aunt Aggie's place as house Negro. I might have been a good girl if it had been in the cards, 
But all of that was dashed to hell two days after I was born. When the dead rose up and started to walk on the battlefield in a small town in Pennsylvania called Gettysburg. On the Come Up by Angie Thomas. I might have to kill somebody tonight. It could be somebody I know. It could be a stranger. It could be somebody who's never battled before. It could be somebody who's a pro at it. It doesn't matter how many punchlines they spit or how nice their flow is. I'll have to kill them. First, I gotta get the call. To get the call, I gotta get the hell out of Miss Murray's class. Some multiple choice questions take up most of my laptop, but the clock though, the clock is everything. According to it, there are 10 minutes until 4.30. And according to Aunt Pooh, who knows somebody who knows somebody, DJ Hype calls between 4.30 and 5.30. I swear, if I miss him, I won't do shit. Because Miss Murray has my phone, and Miss Murray's not one to play with. I only see the top of her sister locks. The rest of her is hidden behind her Nikki Giovanni book. Occasionally, she goes, mm, at some line, the same way my grandma does during a sermon. Poetry's Miss Murray's religion. Everyone else cleared out of Midtown School of the Arts almost an hour ago, except for us juniors whose parents or guardians signed us up for ACT prep. It's not guaranteed to get you a 36, but Jay said I better get close since she paid these folks a light bill for this class. Every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon, I drag myself into this classroom and hand my phone over to Miss Murray. Usually I'm cool with an entire hour of not knowing what the president tweeted or getting texts from Sonny or Malik, sometimes about shit the president tweeted. But today, I want to go up to that desk, snatch my phone from the pile, and run out of here. Psst. Brianna, someone whispers. Malik's behind me. And behind him, Sony Mouse. Anything yet? I tilt my head with a, how am I supposed to know? I don't have my phone. Eyebrow raised. Yeah, that's a lot to expect him to get. But, but me, Sonny, and Malik have been tight since womb days. Our moms are best friends, and the three of them were pregnant with us at the same time. They call us the unholy trinity because they claim we kicked in their bellies whenever they were together. So nonverbal communication, not new. Sonny shrugs with an, I don't know, I'm just checking, mixed in with a, damn, you ain't got to catch an attitude. I narrow my eyes at his little light-skinned hobbit looking behind. He's got the curly hair and the big ears. I don't have an attitude. You asked a dumb question. I turn around. Miss Murray eyes us over the top of her book with a little nonverbal communication of her own. I know y'all not talking in my class. Technically, we're not talking. But what I look like telling her that verbally or nonverbally. 427. Three minutes and that phone will be in my hand. 428. Two minutes. 429, one, Miss Murray closes her book. Time's up. Submit your practice text as is. Shit. The test for me, as is, means not a single question is answered. Thankfully, it's multiple choice. Since there are four choices per question, there's a 25% chance that I'll randomly choose the right one. I click answers while everyone else collects their phones. Everyone except Malik. 
He towers over me as he slips his jean jacket over his hoodie. In the past two years, he went from being shorter than me to so tall he has to bend to hug me. His high top fade makes him even taller. Damn, Bree, Malik says. Did you do any of the shh? I submit my answers and sling my backpack over my shoulder. I did the test. Long as you're prepared to take an, an L, Breezy. An L on a practice test isn't really an L. I throw my snapback on, pulling the front down enough so it can cover my edges. They're a little jacked at the moment and will stay jacked until Jay's braids my hair. Sony beat me getting to Miss Murray's desk. He goes for my phone like the true writer that he is, but Miss Murray grabs at it. Grabs at it. That's okay, Jackson. She uses his real name, which happens to be my last name. His mama named him in honor of my grandparents, her godparents. I need to talk to Brianna for a second. Sony and Malik both look at me. What the hell did you do? My eyes are probably as wide as theirs. Do I look like I know? Miss Murray nods toward the door. You and Malik can go. It'll only take a moment. Sony turns to me. You're fucked. Possibly. Don't get me wrong. Miss Murray is sweet, but she does not play. One time, I half-assed my way through an essay about Langston Hughes' use of dreams. Miss Murray went in on me so bad, I wish Jay would have gone in on me instead. That's saying something. Sony and Malik leave. Miss Murray sits on the edge of the desk and sets my phone beside her. The screen is dim. No call yet. What's going on, Brianna? She asks. I look from her to the phone and back. What you mean? You were extremely distracted today, she says. You didn't even do your practice test. Yes, I did. Kind of. A little. Sort of. Not really. Nah. Girl, you didn't submit my answers until a minute ago. Honestly, you haven't been focused for a while now. Trust me, when you get your report card next week, you'll see proof. B's don't turn to C's and D's for nothing. Shit, D's? I gave you what you earned. So what's going on? It's not like you've been missing class lately. Lately. It's been exactly a month since my last suspension, and I haven't been sent to the principal's office in two weeks. That's a new record. Is everything okay at home? Miss Murray asked. You sound like Miss Collins. That's the young blonde counselor who's nice but tries too hard. Every single time I get sent to her, she asks me questions that sound like they came from some how to talk to statistical black children who come to your office often handbook. How is your home life? None of your business. Have you witnessed any traumatic events lately, such as shootings? Just because I live in the ghetto doesn't mean I dodge bullets every day. Are you struggling to come to terms with your father's murder? It was 12 years ago. I barely remember him or it. Are you struggling to come to terms with your mother's addiction? She's been clean for eight years. She's only addicted to soap operas these days. What's good with you, homegirl? Nah, mean. Okay, she hasn't said that, but give her time. Miss Murray smirks. I'm just trying to figure out what's up with you. So... What's got you so distracted today that you wasted my time and your mama's hard-earned money? I sigh. She's not giving me that phone until I talk. So fine. I'll talk. I'm waiting on DJ Hyde to tell me I can battle in the ring tonight. The ring? Yeah, Jimmy's boxing ring. He has freestyle battles every Thursday. 
I submitted my name for a chance to battle tonight. Oh, I know what the ring is. I'm just surprised you're going in it. The way she says you're makes my stomach drop as if it makes more sense that anyone else in the world would go in the ring except for me. Why are you surprised? She puts her hands up. I don't mean anything by it. I know you've got skills. I've read your poetry. I just didn't know you wanted to be a rapper. A lot of people don't know. And that's the problem. I've been rapping since I was 10, but I've never really put myself out there with it. I mean, yeah, Sonia and Malik know, my family knows, but let's be real. Your mom saying you're a good rapper is like your mom saying you're cute when you look a hot mess. Compliments like that are part of the parental responsibility she took on when she evicted me from her womb. Maybe I'm good. I don't know. I've been waiting for the right moment. Tonight, tonight may be the perfect time. And the ring is the perfect place. It's one of the most sacred spots in Garden Heights, second only to Christ's temple. You can't call yourself a rapper until you've battled in the ring. That's why I gotta kill it. I gotta win tonight. I'll get a spot in the ring's lineup. And if I get a spot in the lineup, I can do more battles. And if I do more battles, I'll make a name for myself. Who knows what could happen then? Miss Murray's expression softens. Following your dad's footsteps, huh? It's weird. Whenever other people mention him, it's like they're confirming that he's not some imaginary person I only remember bits and pieces of. And when they call him my dad and not Lawless, the underground rap legend, it's like they're reminding me that I'm his and he's mine. I guess I've been preparing for the ring for a minute now. I mean, it's hard to prepare for a battle, but a win could jumpstart my career, you know? Let me get this straight, she said, sitting up. Imaginary alarms go off in my head. Warning, your teacher is about to gather you, boo. You've been so focused on rapping that your grades have dropped drastically this semester. Forget that junior year grades are vital for college admissions. Forget that you once told me you want to get into Markham or Howard. Miss Murray, no, you think about this for a second. College is your goal, right? I guess. You guess? I shrug. College isn't for everyone, you know? Maybe not, but a high school education? Critical. It's a D now, but that D will turn to an F if you keep this up. I had a similar conversation with your brother once. I try not to roll my eyes. It's nothing against Trey or Miss Murray, but when you have an older brother who did great before you, if you don't at least match his greatness, people have something to say. I've never been able to match Trey here at Midtown. They still have the programs and newspaper clippings on display from when he started a raisin in the sun. I'm surprised they haven't renamed Midtown the Trey Jackson School of Arts because we love his ass that much. Anyway, he once went from A's to C's, Ms. Murray says, but he turned it around. Now look at him, graduated from Markham with honors. He also moved back home this summer. He couldn't find a decent job. And as of three weeks ago, he makes pizzas for minimum wage. It doesn't give me much to look forward to. I'm not knocking him at all. It's dope that he graduated. Nobody in our mom's family has a college degree. And grandma, our dad's mom, 
loves to tell everyone that her grandson was magnum cum laude. That is so not how you say it, but good luck telling grandma that. Miss Murray won't hear that though. I'm going to improve my grades. I swear, I tell her. I just got to do this battle first and see what happens. She nods. I understand. I'm sure your mom will too. She tosses me my phone. Hug. I head to the hallway. Sonny and Malik lean against the lockers. Sonny types away on his phone. Malik fiddles with his camera. He's always in filmmaker mode. A few feet away, the school security guard, Long and Tate, keep an eye on them. Those two are always on some mess. Nobody wants to say it, but if you're black or brown, you're more likely to end up on their radar, even though Long himself is black. Malik glances up from his phone. You okay, Bree? Go on now, Long calls. Don't be lollygagging around here. God damn, can't we talk for a second? I ask. You heard him, says Tate, thumbing towards the door. He's got stringy blonde hair. Get out of here. I open my mouth, but Sony says, let's just go, Bree. Fine. I follow Sony and Malik towards the door and glance at my phone. It's 4.45 and Hype still hasn't called. A city bus ride and a walk home later, nothing. I get to my house at exactly 5.09. Jay's Jeep Cherokee is in our driveway. Gospel music blares in the house. It's one of those upbeat songs that leads to a praise break at church and grandma running around the sanctuary shouting. It's embarrassing as hell. Anyway, Jay only plays those kind of songs on Saturday when it's cleaning day to make me and Trey get up and help. It's hard to cuss as somebody sings about Jesus. So I get up and clean without a word. Wonder why she's playing that music now. A chill hits me soon as I step in the house. It's not as cold as outside. I can take my coat off, but my hoodie's gonna stay on. Our gas got cut off last week, and with no gas, we don't have heat. Jay put an electric heater in the hallway, but it only takes a bit of the chill out of the air. We have a heat. We have to heat water in pots on the electric stove if we want to take hot baths, and we sleep with extra covers on our beds. Some bills caught up with my mom and Trey, and she had to ask the gas company for an extension. Then another one, and another one. They got tired of waiting for their money and just cut it off. It happens. I'm home. I call from the living room. I'm about to toss my backpack and my coat onto the couch, but Jay snaps from wherever she is. Hang that coat up and put that backpack in your room. Damn, how did she do that? I do what she said and follow the music to the kitchen. Jay takes two plates out of the cabinet, one for me and one for her. Trey won't be home for a while. Jay's still in her church day look that's required as the church secretary. The ponytail, the knee-length skirt, the long sleeve blouse that covers her tattoos and the scars from her habit. It's Thursday, so she's got classes tonight as she goes after that social work degree. She wants to make sure other people get, get the help she didn't back when she was on drugs. For the past few months, she's been in school part-time taking classes several nights a week. She usually only has time to either eat or change, not both. Guess she chose to eat tonight. The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. It was easier, she'd been told, if you kept a tune in your head. 
Clementine sat as still as she could at the clawfoot vanity, searching her memory for any of the songs she'd learned on the piano in the parlor. But her mind had been blank ever since the auction, leaving only a wordless well of fear like the keening of the dead. Behind her, mumbling around a mouthful of hairpins, Mother Fleur crowed over what an honor it was for Clementine to have fetched such a high bid and how proud of her she was. The housemistress had spent the last hour preparing Clementine for her lucky night, lacing up her frothy white dress, rouging her cheeks, and shadowing her eyes with soot. You ought to be proud of yourself, too, the older woman went on. She brushed Clementine's woolly black hair away from her face and pinned it up in an elegant knot. A weary sigh tickled the nape of Clementine's neck. Sixteen years old, finally a woman proper. I remember when you were just a cricket, you and your sister both, but she did fine, Clementine, and you will too. Clementine found no comfort in the words. Mother Floor was well past working age herself. Her favor, a carnation, had begun to wither on her wrinkled white cheek, the cursed ink long since faded to gray. Clementine wondered how much she even remembered of her lucky night. Had she been this frightened? Had anyone? Sundown girls were discouraged from talking to daybreak girls about the business. They'd only told Clementine the essentials, not whether these last minutes were supposed to stretch out like held breath between lightning and thunder, or whether her stomach was supposed to drop like she was falling down a gorge. Even Clementine's sister, Asta, had never given any details about her lucky night. It had been Asta's suggestion, though, to keep a tune in her head. It doesn't have to be your favorite song, she said. In fact, it's better if it isn't. Just pick one. Pick one you know in your bones and think of nothing else. Aster had also insisted that Clementine didn't take any sweet thistle. The soothing tincture sundown girls were required to use to settle their nerves. She'd even gone as far as to tell Clementine to lie to Mother Flora about taking her dose. Clementine hadn't asked why, even though she had been surprised. She trusted Asta in everything. Now, though, she wondered if a drop of sweet thistle might not have been a bad idea. Mother Fleur finished fussing with her hair, sticking the last pen in place. Almost done, she muttered. Clementine tried to relax and let herself enjoy being pampered. In her six years at the Green Creek Welcome House, this was surely the kindest Mother Fleur had ever been to her. She'd never been prettied up like this before, and it was a welcome distraction from the duty that lay ahead. Clementine cleared her throat. I love the look of it, she managed to say. You're not the one we're trying to impress tonight, Mother Flora said with a dry laugh. But I'm glad you like it all the same. Gives a girl confidence when she knows she looks good. Mother Flora picked up a crystal bottle of perfume next. Clementine offered up the left side of her throat, where her own favor shone black against her dark brown skin. A Clementine flower. Her namesake. Its star-like petals fluttering occasionally, as if from a gentle breeze. It suited her, she liked to think. She'd gotten it when she was ten years old. The tattooist had carefully prepared the ink, mixing it with the unsavory ingredients that gave it its power. A strand of her hair, powdered bone, venom from a black-fanged skink. Then he burrowed the needle into the hollow above her collarbone, sharp as a catamount's claw. The favor would mark Clementine as property of the welcome house for the rest of her days. At first, 
The clementine flower had just had been just a seedling. Two teardrop leaves, a curl of a stem, but it had grown slowly with each passing year, ink unfurling up the crescent of her neck until this morning, finally, she had woken up to find it fully blossomed just above her jaw. Her skin prickled at the cool kiss of perfume. Mother Fleur returned the bottle to its place. There, the housemistress said, resting her hands on Clementine's shoulder. Her voice rang with finality. Clementine's heart leapt in her chest. She met Mother Fleur's eyes in the mirror, questions gathering at the top of her throat. Now remember, Mother Fleur said, you're not just representing yourself tonight. You're representing the whole of the Green Creek Welcome House. All right, that concludes this episode of Hashtag Preliminary. Today's episode examined titles that highlighted strong female leads. The books featured in today's episode were The Gracier by Kim Liggett, Six Angry Girls by Adrian Kistner, Dread Nation by Justina Ireland, On the Come Up by Angie Thomas, and The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. Before we go, make sure to borrow or place a hold on any title that may have piqued your interest. Then stay tuned for next week's episode where we turn our attention to Under the Radar Reads. As always, happy reading.